so happy to be in the house of the Lord and worship you this morning. Amen. As we continue our time of worship, let us look to the scriptures. I'll be reading from the Psalm, Psalm chapter 89, beginning in verse 1. I will sing of the everlasting steadfast love of the Lord forever. Pretty sure we just stopped there. Amen? Well, let's keep going. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens you established your faithfulness. And you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant... I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him O Lord God of hosts who is mighty as you are O Lord with your faithfulness all around you you rule the raging sea when its waves rise you still them you crushed Rahab like the carcass You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that it is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyfully praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festival shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and we have just entered our time of singing how great is our God. Let us transition our hearts and minds to be ready to receive the word. Lord, let us know that Through your inspiration, you can speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and gently convict our hearts of those things that need convicting, to encourage us in those things that need encouragement, and to give us the joy and the peace that is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bless this time of the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be sending our K through fifth grade out those doors over there with Miss Joanna. She's waiting for you guys, so go ahead and head on out there. And as the kids are heading out this morning, I would ask you to pull out your Bible or your digital device and go to Matthew chapter 25 for me today. Matthew chapter 25. And as you flip there, I want to remind you that we are in a series to kick off 2023 called Why? Why? And we are looking at the many things that we do and why we do them. If you've been with us, you know there's been a simple foundational answer to why we do what we do as a church and why we do what we do as people who make up the church. And the answer is simply this. Three words to glorify God. That is why we do what we do. It's the primary reason why we worship as we sang this morning to glorify God, as we come together and pray together to glorify God, as we connect together here this morning, as we evangelize and share our faith, as we disciple and pour into people, the reason for it primarily is to glorify God. It's why we live, it's why we breathe, and as we talk about today, it is why we give. It is to glorify God. Yes, today we're talking about giving. And as we're talking about giving, I can almost feel some people on the inside going, oh, great. I know. Talking about money or anything along those lines is never a fun thing to do. But when we talk about giving, really, it's so much bigger than that. As a matter of fact, we've been talking about giving in some form or fashion just about every week of our existence. Uh, especially as we talk about why. Why do we give of ourselves in worship? Why do we do the things that we do? And this whole Why series as it has begun and will continue throughout February, it's about giving. See, if you walk through the doors of our church, if you go to our front page of our website, if you uh, look right here behind me on stage, you'll see our five core values. And one of those five core values is, is I can't outgive God. I can't outgive God. And if you look out there on the wall or look on our website, you will see there's a little asterisk next to that. And what it says is it gives you our five T's, the things that we give to God. And those five T's are this. It is our testimony, our temple, our time, our treasure, and, and we have ourselves, our lives, our very selves. These are our five T's that we roll through. And as we look at these five T's and we see them, we talk about it with each thing that we do. As a matter of fact, when we talked about worship two weeks ago, that is offering up your temple. Because we're offering ourselves. Pastor Bruce last week talked about evangelism and discipleship. You know what that is? It's your testimony. It's offering up your testimony. Well, today we're going to look at the other three of them. And as we look at the other three of them, we're going to look in the first place at this Matthew 25 that I've asked you to open up to. If you go to verse 14, we're going to dive into this scripture to look for the foundation on why we give. Now, we could give a whole lot more time and a whole lot more effort and really break down this passage, but you're going to see the foundation of why we give right up front in this passage. So if you would, please follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 14 of Matthew 25. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and another one talent, depending upon each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who had earned two uh, with two talents earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you've given me five talents, so see, I've earned five talents more. His master said to him, those words we all want to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. But the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went off and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have at least deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and each will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I want to give you a fair warning. We could take a whole, whole lot of time on this passage. We could dive deep into it, but really, I'm probably not going to do what it even deserves. But I want to see the foundation that we see in this passage on why we give. Of all the whys that we talk about for the beginning of 2023, why we give is probably going to be the hardest one to listen to and most certainly the hardest one to apply. Today we're talking about giving, giving of our time, giving our talents, giving our treasure. And the end goal, again, is to glorify God. It's all for His glory. But why is it so hard for us to give of our time and serving? Why do churches struggle to get people to serve in various ministries? Why is the giving of our finances to support the ministries of the church so hard for us to do? Why is it that God has given us gifts for His glory, but it's so far hard for us to pass those on and use them for His glory. And if you want to look back over the last two weeks, why is it so hard for us to give ourselves completely? Why is it so hard for us to share the gospel and share our story with others? Why is it so difficult for us to do that? Now, I don't want to oversimplify the answers to those questions, but I do believe it does come down to one common denominator. And that one common denominator is this we have to answer this question who is the lord of your life who is the lord of your life and how we answer that the questions of why will come down to the answer as well it all depends upon the lordship of christ at what point in time is he the lord in your life and over all of your life you see far too many christians far too many christians will talk about their salvation in christ but they, they don't give him their whole life. They compartmentalize. 
They, they basically say, hey God, this is where I want Jesus to be the Lord over my life, and this is where I want Him to stay out of my business. That's not how it works. That's not how lordship works. You don't get to say, hey, you get to be in charge here, and I get to be in charge here. It's either all or nothing. And when it comes down to that question, who is the Lord of your life? We have to realize this very thing. Jesus Christ is the Lord. We, free, we praise that name. We sing that name. We say those things in our songs. But to mean it means if He is our Savior and then He is the Lord of our life, we have to respond to the claims over all areas of our life in that specific way. The passage we read together. It comes down and comes from the Olivet Discourse. And in it, Jesus is talking about the end times. And as he's talking about the end times, the parable is a challenge for his people to live lives with the understanding that he is coming back, that our lives should point to that, that our lives should be lived for that. And with that in mind, we have to ask ourselves, how am I going to use the resources that God has allowed me to manage or steward and how am I going to use my time and my talents and treasure for His greatest glory and the spreading of His kingdom? Because far too often we try and use those things for our glory and our kingdom. So how do we reconcile that? How do we live in such a way? And, and as we take a quick look at the passage, I want to see the three areas that we have to submit to the Lordship of Christ. And that comes down to those five T's, but especially the ones today why do we give our time? Why do we give our talent? And why do we give our treasures to Christ? Let's start off with treasures. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's go ahead and talk about the things that we have been given. Why should I give my treasure to the Lord? Well, if you look in this parable, you're going to see the master of the slaves. He entrusts quite a bit to the servants. I mean, let's look at verses 14 and 15 again. It says, For... It is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions. By the way, if you want to underline one word in this entire passage, underline the word his, not ours. His possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and another one talent, depending upon each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. In this parable, we have a master going away. He gives away five talents, two talents, and one talent to three different slaves. Now, a talent used here, in case you're wondering, is a Hebrew unit of money. And that Hebrew unit of money equals about 3,000 shekels. A shekel was basically a day's wage. A day's wage was one shekel, so each talent was 3,000. So roughly where we're at here is somewhere between he's giving 10, 20, and 50 years worth of wages to these guys. So he's entrusting quite a bit to them but there's something that I again I want to highlight that we have to see right up front Jesus makes it clear that the master gives his own possessions to the slaves and this is a principle we have to clearly understand whether we're talking about treasures or we're talking about time or we're talking about talents the overall foundation of the message that we give on why we give is this it's his it's his God has entrusted you and me with something of His to be invested for His glory. All the things that we are given. And I emphasize the word all. All the things we are given, the time, the talent, the treasures, the testimony, and your temple, your life in every breath. It's your breath in my lungs. So I'll pour out your praise. We're saying that. We said that. Do you believe it? 
Is it his breath? Could he take it away right now and I fall over dead right now? Absolutely. Everything is his. We have to remember, it's all his and not ours. We can misuse it, we can abuse it, or we can invest it properly. But we have to come down to the basic foundation. It's all his and not ours. He is the master. We are the servant. We are the slave. We are the the manager or we are the steward. Whatever term you want to use, that is where we fall. It's all his anyway. Everything we have, everything we've been given is his. And we're going to dive deeper into that here in a second. But that everything, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, that means everything. And as we look at everything, it includes our treasures. It includes our finances. It includes our money. God has entrusted us with possessions to use for Him. There's no real way around that. We, we can try and justify, but it is for His kingdom's glory. We don't like to talk about money or our stuff. But really what it boils down to is, is it's hard for us to give up our treasures. It's hard for us to give up our money. And the reason why I think it is, is we think it's ours. There's an ownership issue here. Somehow we think that it is ours. In order to be more willing to give of our resources, our time, our talents, our treasures, we have to release ownership and realize ultimately it's all God's. It's all God's anyway, and we are called to be what's called faithful stewards or faithful managers. That is why we give our treasure. The second question is, is why do we give our talents? Why do you give your natural abilities or and or spiritual gifts to the Lord? Why do we do that? Why do we serve? Well, if you look at verse 15, it said the master gave talents according to each one's ability. God knows that we all have different abilities and he gives to us accordingly. What's your ability? What are your abilities? And what are you doing with them? How are you investing them? When you look at the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That love your all part includes your abilities. How are you using your abilities and your spiritual gifts to love God? He's given them for His glory, but how are we using them? For ours or for His? And I don't want to confuse ability with spiritual gifts, but they are similar in the fact they are both given to us by God for His glory glory now the difference is abilities are given to everyone spiritual gifts are given by the holy spirit by to those who follow him and and so when we look at that when it comes down to those spiritual gifts what's the purpose well romans chapter 12 and first corinthians chapter 12 both tell us that the spiritual gifts that i have received are used to build up the body of christ to glorify god now these gifts and abilities they can be used to minister in all sorts of ways. But how are we doing it? Are we using them for His glory? Because they're all His anyway. We need to be giving back to Him. We manage them for His kingdom work. So that is now our treasure and our talents. But what about our time? How are we using our time? Why should I use my time for the Lord? Look back to verses 16 through 18. Really, the last verse or last word of verse 15 as well. I'm not sure why it broke up the way it did, but this is what it says. Immediately, immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work and earned five more. 
In the same way, the man who had two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. You know what I see in this passage? I see this. The, pro- the, the profitable slaves, they prioritize their time. And the unprofitable one was lazy and he didn't. It's just, it's just that simple. End of verse 15 says a word immediately. I, I don't know how many times I've read this passage, but yet it was fresh to me. I, I saw the first two slaves, even though they had different abilities, even though they, they, they were given different amounts, they both realized the urgency of being about the master's business. They did it immediately. They didn't hesitate. They made their master's work a priority as it should be. But what about the unprofitable servant? What did he do? What did he do with what he's entrusted? Well, verse 18 says he buried it. He went and dug a hole. He buried his talents. He buried the possession that he had been given. He buried the time. He wasted his time digging a hole instead of actually investing it in a way that it was supposed to be done. And why did he do it? Well, it says he was afraid. Can I just make a little quick spiritual point here? How many times do we bury the things that God has given us, like our testimony, because we're afraid? How many times do we use that as an excuse? And how did the master respond to that excuse? He didn't say, oh yeah, I can see you're afraid. No, he said you're wicked and evil and lazy. <whistles> Not me saying it. It's Jesus saying it. Just, just throwing it out there. Okay, let that soak in for a second. And as you do, here's what we need to understand. We need to understand that we are living in an age that is pointing towards Jesus and is getting closer and closer to His return. We are living with urgency that we need to be living out God's plan and be about the Father's business and we need to stop making excuses. Now we could talk on this passage further and we could dive deeper into each and every one of those things and we could see the way the returns happen there at the end. But here's what I really want to focus on today for the rest of our time. And it goes back to the fact that it's all his everything we have our time our talents our treasure our testimony our temple they are all his anyway they are all his anyway and that is the foundation to why we give i could close right now but i won't all right here's what we need to understand we need to put some application to this he is the owner which makes us merely a manager or just a steward or just a slave a doulos a servant We are not in control. We are not in charge. We are just stewards or managers of everything that is His. You heard Pastor Bruce read up front Psalm 89. And as you read Psalm 89, I want to point out two verses from what he read. That's verses 11 and 12 when it said this, The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them. You created them. It is yours yours north and south you created them Tabor and herman shout for joy at your name it's all his there's no question about it or at least there shouldn't be if you think that you are the owner the who is lord is out of whack in your life and if you are out of whack in your life in that way you're going to be in constant conflict with god I will guarantee it. With what things 
I have and what do I do with the things that I have. But when I understand that the Lord is the owner and I'm only the manager, guess what? The conflict disappears. The conflict disappears and freedom literally takes over my life because it's all His anyway. And as a servant of His who's been given things to manager and steward, I have a responsibility to use it for His glory. Plain and simple. I have a responsibility to live like a manager, like a servant, not like, the, not like I'm the Lord or I'm the owner. Some of you in here own businesses. Some of you have managed businesses. There's a distinct difference between the two, is there not? Because the owner has a whole lot more invested, first of all, and it's up to what he or she wants to do that matters. The manager might add some input into it all, but when it comes right down to it, the manager's just doing the will of the owner. It's the same thing in our life. The job of the manager is to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and carry out his will. That understanding will affect the why as well as how we give. See, a manager should understand how to operate. How do I give as merely a manager of my time and my talents and my treasure? Well, the Bible is going to tell us three different ways. One, give generously. Give generously. King David, during his time, he was the most powerful man on all of the earth. But he understood the owner manager role just read some of the psalms you'll see where he puts himself after receiving a tremendous offering in first chronicles 29 david responds to god in this way in verse 14 of first chronicle 29 says but who am i and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this for everything comes from you and we have been given or we have given you only what comes from your own hand see david was thinking like a steward or a manager, not like an owner. He was giving generously because it was all God's anyway. Second thing is we need to give sacrificially. Second Corinthians 8 and 9 are great passages on why we give. And we could have just spent all of our time there, but we're touching on all these different ones here. But Paul is talking about the, the Macedonian Christians and their sacrificial giving. And he testifies here in the first part of, of chapter 8 in verses 1 through 5. He says this, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the church of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that, according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave of the first themselves to the Lord and then to us, by God's will. I'm not sure if you understand the poverty that was taking place there. How could somebody give in such extreme generosity and sacrificially when they are in poverty? Well, the, the answer is they didn't see poverty as an exemption from giving. They simply refused to miss out on the joy and the satisfaction of giving to the Lord's work. They didn't want to miss out on it. So they gave sacrificially. First, we see give generously. Second, give um, sacrificially and third give joyfully have you ever wondered why the bible says in second corinthians chapter 9 that kind of the end of that same passage that god loves a cheerful giver you ever ever wondered that see joyful giving is a sign that givers understand the owner manager relationship 
cheerful giving can only come from a heart that is setting on things above, not on earthly things. Because if we're focused on the earthly things, we're going to want to hold on to that stuff for ourselves. But God loves a cheerful giver because such givers are invested in one thing, and that is heaven and God's kingdom, which is returns with eternal dividends. I love the story in the book of Exodus when the tabernacle is being built. And people got so caught up in the joy of their heavenly investments that they actually had to be restrained from giving more. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've never had to do that before. But Moses had to do it. Listen to what it says here in Exodus chapter 36, verses 4 through 7. Then all the artisans who were doing all the work for the sanctuary came up one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work that the Lord commanded to be done. After Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. So Moses basically says this. Hey, we got enough. Stop giving. We got too much. We don't know what to do with it all. Stop giving. Now, someday I want to not be in this building. I'm just going to, just going to speak to you honestly, okay? I, I would love to own our own and maybe have, like yesterday we had a funeral and it was all here and then we had to have everybody from the funeral help clean up the chairs and set up tables in here because we just don't have any space to do anything else. I would love for that not to be the case. So someday I'm going to be like Moses and be like, stop giving, you've given too much. I, I'm looking forward to that day just to let you know. But, but here's the thing. Why do they give like that? It's because they knew it was all the Lord's. And they were celebrating the Lord and the temple. Scripture teaches us, both by mandate and by model, that we are to give abundantly, generously. That we are to, to give joyfully, and we're supposed to give sacrificially. And we need to understand that that is how we give. But we also need to understand that as a manager, we're not just going to give that. We're also going to give an account. We're going to give an account. I am going to be held accountable to God as He is the owner and He has expectations as me, the manager. Again, if you owned your own business and you left somebody to manage it, are you just going to let them manage it and never hold them to account? They're going to run away with it if that's the case. No, you're, you're going to hold them to account on what's being done with what's been given to the person to manage. As we manage his property we will go under a job performance evaluation that's the end of matthew 25 that i didn't get into but it's also found in romans chapter 14 verses 10 through 12 listen to what it says but you why do you judge your brother or sister or you why do you despise your brother or sister for we will all stand before the judgment seat of god for it is written as i live says the lord every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to god so then each of us will give an account of himself to god we will give an account of our life to god each thing that we have each thing that we consider our personal possession whatever it might be we will give a personal account to god for god will want to know what we've done with the possessions that he has entrusted to us guess what the areas of inspection are I'll give you a hint. They each start with a T. When you really stop and think about it, it's going to start off with our temple, ourselves. Who we are. The owner will check to see how devoted we have been to him. 
That's why Paul wrote, as we talked about two weeks ago in worship, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Many of you have memorized it, but sometimes when we memorize it, we miss what it's actually saying. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, I urge you to do what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. He wants you. Not part of you. He wants all of you. Then it says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is the will of God. I know the youth, uh, you guys have been talking about on Sunday mornings with, with Bob. But what is God's will for my life? We all ask that question at some point in time. Now the, the blanket statement is right here. Now specifically for your life, there's some things that will come into it, but the blanket statement is here. He wants you. That's the will for your life, is that He wants you. And He wants you to do what He's called you to do. Paul says a proper and spiritual act of worship is to give yourself fully to your owner and to be used as His servant. Why? Because it's all His anyway. Every breath. Second, our treasure. First, our temple. Second, our treasure, our possessions, our finances, our family. We've already talked about it in Matthew 25. But here's the thing. He's given us each a treasure to invest for His glory. Can I just ask you a simple question? Where are you investing? Where are you investing what He has given to you? Is it for your own kingdom or for His kingdom? Because remember, it's not ours. It's all His anyway. Third, our time. I have two life passages I try to hold on to in my life and I live by. One, one tells me to be aware of my time. The other tells me what to do with it. The first one is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. The second one is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Let me read for you. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 is the verses I memorized in it are different than the ones that I read from now, so I have to read it. I apologize. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. There it is again. That is, be aware of your time. The next one is, what do I do with it? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always. That's what I do with my time. Pray constantly. That is what I do with my time. Give thanks in everything. That is what I do with my time. For this is, oh, guess what? There it is again. God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here's the reality. You get 86,400 seconds every day. Every day. And you don't get to bank them up for tomorrow and you don't get to borrow from yesterday's. How you spend them and how you invest them matters because one day you won't have any more left to invest. What are you doing with it? Are you living for the temporary or are you living for the eternal? Because all that time, it's His anyway. And He can take it at any point in time He wants to. Fourth, our talents, our abilities, and our spiritual gifts. The owner will examine what we've done with the gifts and abilities that He has given us. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. God, my owner, expects me to take my spiritual gifts, my ability that He's handed me, and He expects me to use them for His glory. That's what He expects. They're all His anyway. Fifth, our testimony. 
leading others to Christ and growing others in Christ. What Pastor Bruce talked about last week. Sharing our story. If you're a believer in Christ, let me just tell you, the greatest thing that has ever happened to you is the day that Jesus became your Lord and Savior. That is the greatest day. There's a lot of close seconds. Maybe the day that you were married. Maybe the day you had children. Maybe the day, whatever it might be. Maybe the day you went to the Game 7 of the World Series with the Diamondbacks and Yankees. There's a lot of close seconds in your life. The problem is we have a really easy time talking about the close seconds. We have a really hard time talking about the best. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because we're afraid. But here's what it comes down to. There's nothing greater than the story of your salvation. And God has said, just tell them to come and see. The woman at the well in Samaria, after Jesus had spoken into her life, she goes back to the village. You know what she does in the village? She says, come and see. When Jesus is calling His disciples, He's talking to, to Nathaniel and He's talking to Philip. Actually, he's talking to Nathaniel. He says, come and see to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, he goes, finds Philip. You know what he says to Philip? Come and see. We found the Messiah. Come and see. Let me share my story. Because really, my story is just a part of his greater story. So it's not my story anyway. None of this is mine. It's all his anyway. See, nothing I give to God originated with me. Nothing I give to God originated with me. It is all His. God has just entrusted me to manage my time and to manage my possessions and to manage my story and even my very being for His glory and His honor. All are to be used for Him and I will be held accountable for how I use them. I will be held accountable for that. God has high expectations that I will serve Him and I will grow to be more like Him. Those high expectations were the same thing the master gave to the slaves. You don't just give 50 years of wages if you don't have some high expectations on what they're going to do with them. As I grow to be more like Him, in that growth I want to grow in my worship. I want to grow in my fellowship, my connection with both Him and others. I want to grow in my discipleship and my evangelism. I want to grow in my stewardship because I'm just a manager, but I want to do it to the best of the abilities that he knows I have for his glory and his honor because it's all his anyway. And that is why we give. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful again for the lives you've given us. The breath that we do have in our lungs and the abilities you've given us and even the wealth that you have entrusted us with. God, may we not be dumb. May we have your wisdom on how to properly invest, on how to use it for your glory and your honor. The time you give us at work, the time you give us at school, the talents you give us for whatever sport we play or whatever instrument we play or, or whatever ability we might have, whether it be speaking or, or drawing or whatever thing you've given us. And then the spiritual gift that goes on top of that. May we be wise in how we use that for your glory and your honor and not our own. Let us not build up our kingdom and look, have everybody look at us, but instead build up your kingdom have everybody look at you. But it's hard, God. It's hard not to want to be the one in control. It's hard not to be the one who is the Lord. 
But there can only be one Lord. Physics tells us there can only be one thing that can occupy a space at a time. And it's either going to be me or it's going to be you. God, give me the wisdom. Give me the strength. Give me the ability to make it you. Get me out of the way. I pray this in my own life and I pray this over Paragon Church. That it's not about us. It's all about you. And we give accordingly. We pray it in your name. Amen.